Welcome to Flex Forward, a new Colliers podcast series. Through discussions with industry leaders, this series will include short episodes that look at some of the emerging trends and current insights around the flexible workspace industry. In our fourth episode, Jonathan Wright, Head of Flexible Workspace Consulting, APAC, has an insightful discussion with Todd Lipford from the Executive Centre. They'll be discussing how flex operators can expand internationally and provide some interesting insights to what TEC have learned over the years. So with that, let's turn to Todd and Johnny. Absolutely delighted to be joined by Todd Lipford, Senior Development Director from the Executive Centre, the largest premium flexible workspace operator in Asia. And today we'll be talking around uh, with COVID-19 making international travel almost impossible, how an operator has kept their locations running um, on a regional basis, and also how they've been supporting um, their clients throughout um, what we've all been going through um, in the last 18 months or so. Thank you for the invitation to kind of join the podcast, Johnny. Um, excited to be here and talk a bit about TEC, as well as you know how, how we've been addressing the challenges of COVID uh, regionally across APAC. First is an introduction. I've been working for TEC uh, just about eight years now. Um, when I joined the company, we were at about 65 locations, and as of as of July 2021, we have 151 locations with about 37,000 members across 32 markets in 14 different countries around Asia Pacific. Our focus has always been to provide corporate premium grade office and flexible workspace solutions to um, multinational clients across major markets in Asia. Um, our primary areas of focus are Greater China, India, Japan, Korea, Singapore, and Australia. Um, our key target really has been to serve the multinational corporation basis and to, to target on premium or grade A assets within kind of major market CBD locations throughout that region. Awesome, awesome. I mean, look, uh, TEC have been, you know, going for correct me if I'm wrong here, 20, 20 or 25 plus years. And obviously, as you said, in that premium end of the market. And I think what we really want to drill down on today is not just how not just how you guys have kind of navigated your own operations, but also how you've kind of supported um, your members during this period. Because obviously running your own operations must be difficult. I'm sure some of the operators listening would be really interested to hear about that, but also how you supported your 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 um your members as well. But before we sort of dig into that, I guess the first question would be, you know, the landlords that you work with, have you seen in the last, you know, I guess two years with international travel being almost impossible, you're very well entrenched in a lot of these markets already that you're already in. Have you seen more landlords turn to TC versus new market entrants where they've been looking to add flex into their portfolios? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the easiest way to summarize it is that we've clearly seen that track record matters and having, you know, an existing history of operating in a particular city really allows us to speak and engage with landlords in a slightly different manner than others who might be looking to enter the market. Strength of covenant and proven history of operations are now even more important for any landlord conversation 
COVID is by no means our first economic downturn. You know, we've been operating since 1994, so we've been through a number of economic challenging periods, but we continue to maintain healthy and growing occupancy, resilient pricing, and satisfied customers, right? So the most important thing in terms of discussions with landlords is really to ensure that we're able to deliver um, deliver centers that are able to earn the revenue in order to, you know, make sure that we're meeting our rental payments, reach, reaching our profitability targets, as well as just being able to deliver on the covenant um, that the landlord gives us when we sign a lease. So that's what's made TEC's expansion discipline always really be firmly focused on a client-first approach, making sure that when we're adding capacity, we're quite confident that we'll be able to fill it quickly rather than just seeking supply for the addition of build it and they will come. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you guys have kept the ship moving, so to speak, you know, with uh, you got, you know, you're based in Hong Kong, most of your central team are based in Hong Kong, but you've got, you, you mentioned your coverage earlier, you know, 150 some locations spread around, primarily spread around Asia Pac. You know, how have you kept that moving forward and still maintained, you know, quality of service, when every different city is going in, in some different stage of lockdown or some different stage of restrictions, how have you kind of kept that moving? Sure. I mean, I think at TEC, we're lucky to have quite a strong team, both here at our corporate head office here in Hong Kong, but also especially in the region. Um, we really do have a strong regional management team, both from our regional directors who oversee a handful of cities on their own, as well as each of our individual city and center managers who really are empowered to really be in charge of the operations and sales and kind of day-to-day activities within those markets. Um, I think every single one of our markets has kind of gone through different cycles at different times of when, you know, lockdown challenges or government restrictions or even COVID outbreaks have been really presenting themselves as more serious threats to the business. However, really the most important thing is to really communicate as much as you can. So my role sitting across multiple regions is to be able to say, you know, in this market, let's say in Australia during one of the lockdowns during 2020, this is really the way that we approached it and kind of sharing the strategies that we use. I think the the most important thing about TEC is that while, you know, we aim to provide a consistent level of product, service, and quality across each of our markets, we also do ensure that our managers are really familiar and native to the markets that they're coming from, because the way that you have to handle situations like this has to be very localized. You have to be responding to the conditions on the ground. So having a blanket approach developed out of the corporate office in Hong Kong just wouldn't work for all 32 of our cities, but rather having a means of information sharing as well as um, empowerment to acting on a local level in the best service of both the landlords and the clients has really been what we've found to be most successful. This next question I'm about to ask, I've got kind of two views on it um, in in terms of what the operator landscape is going to look like, you know, sort of post-COVID. In terms of, on the one hand, I feel like there's going to be some consolidation because some operators just, just may or may not make it through. And also, you know, we, we were talking before we came, came on air that you know, we might look at, um, you know, certain markets are really difficult to find to gain footprint now and that that may lead to some M&A. But also to a certain extent, the markets may become more fragmented rather than consolidated because the lack of travel uh, being available, that we are starting to see both landlords and occupiers look to people who are established in certain markets and can provide 
best in class in that market or best in class in a certain level of product, whether that could be a lower end of the market, middle end of the market, or where you guys play in the premium end. So I think I'm, I'm kind of in two minds about whether the operator landscape is post this is going to be more fragmented or consolidated. I, I wondered if you had a view. Um, I mean, I think I think overall, the, the strong will survive, right? So people who are performing well, who are able to kind of attract correct demand, maintain occupancy at the right pricing relative to their base rents will do well, right? Um, I think particularly from 2016 to 2019 in Asia and a lot of our markets, we had a number of, you know, new entrants to the market or people who were heavily reliant on deploying funding rather than operating kind of self-sustaining profitable businesses where their expansion has kind of grown by funds that they're generating internally. If you're an operator who's continuing to perform after deploying that capital in the last five years, you'll be able to kind of continue operations. For those that run out of that funding, it will get very challenging. Our business is a cash flow business. Rents are uh, quite, quite a large part of our operating costs, and so that's the challenge. However, so I'm not sure if there will be consolidation as much as there will be some, uh, some operators receding from the market or some space coming back. I do understand your point about kind of more geographic fragmentation. I think, you know, what, our focus has really historically always been on APAC. Um, we've added a number of new cities, you know, particularly in Southeast Asia, across China into kind of tier two markets, as well as around India uh, in the last five years. But within that, I think that it's important for operators to really understand and carve out what their particular niche is. We're targeted at the premium end of the spectrum, not because that's the only niche that works, but primarily it's because that's where we've been able to accumulate the number of locations, corporate client contacts, and really be able to hit our stride. I think, you know, whether or not people are going to expect that they can just bring a new brand into an individual market that might have worked in other regions such as Europe or North America or even TEC going abroad. There are a lot of challenges logistically to that of, are you realistically bringing something new? Um, I think a lot of people came to Asia thinking that flexible workspace or co-working was a brand new concept to find that, you know, there's a number of operators that have been operating here for quite some time, you know, the executive center uh, along with others. I do think that in terms of the fragmentation though, there will be potentially more people specializing in terms of the type of work that they're doing. Um, particularly with uh, with clients, because you know there's so many landlords. It's a heavily fragmented market from market to market, country to country around Asia Pacific, especially. You know, there's no one dominant landlord in every or even most markets. So the consolidation will really come from operators who are able to work effectively with the demand side of the market. If the majority of clients prefer one operator or a collection of operators, that's a way to kind of consolidate you know, the premium or grade A buildings across Asia, Asia Pacific, even if it's multiple landlords, so that the same level or tier of clients are willing to work with one operator across multiple different landlords in different cities. So being able to work with, you know, landlords in Japan, in China and India is a very different landscape, but being able to work with the same clients for their real estate needs across all three of those markets is crucial going forward. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, we, we've talked about this before, but yeah, it's it is. Um, yeah, d every every Asia's is very very nuanced because you've just got so many different cultures. You've got the way that landlords view things, different real estate uh, metrics for for different buildings in different cities. So you know, being able to 
kind of navigate that that Asia landscape is is, is not easy. So, um, you know, with that, you, I'm sure you've had a lot of members that have been with you guys for years and years. And you obviously at that sort of premium end of the market, particularly, you know, large corporates that, that kind of lean on TC when they need um, flex space. Kind of how are you seeing sort of deals? Like what are deals looking like now? I mean, we, pre- previously, you guys had a lot of smaller deals, five to 10 desks. What are, what are deals looking like now? Are you seeing it bigger? Are you seeing multi-market requirements where, where Occupy might be doing deals in several cities with you guys? What, what's what's it looking like now for you? For us, I'd say that a lot of it has gotten significantly more bespoke. Um, so even if we're working with large occupiers who have you know thousands of headcounts that they're looking to allocate, um, people have really matured in their understanding of how they want to use flexible workspace. I don't think there's a single unifying strategy that every company uses. However, you know I think every company has considered and has a has a healthy understanding of how flexible workspace can kind of help them achieve their commercial real estate objectives and things like that. So, I mean, I think overall as a company, our average, our average number of desks per contract is eight workstations. So that means on average, any contract that's signed is just an office for eight people, right? So that's much less than a lot of the kind of headlines that you'll see of 300 or 500 workstation deals being done in some markets. And those, those are certainly meaty deals and very healthy and things like that. And about 25% of our overall capacity is 25 workstations or more, getting up into the kind of one or 200 workstation deals. But there are also large occupiers who have thousands of employees globally that are looking for solutions at the 5, 10, 15 person end of the spectrum. They're looking for solutions on less than a 12 month contract, on something that's a more dynamic, you know, just in time or on demand solution. So what we've, what we've really seen is people approaching us kind of seeking consultation in terms of how they can achieve their real estate objectives across multiple markets. For instance, a recent white paper that, uh, that our marketing team uh, collaborated with Standard Chartered Bank, um, who's a large anchor client of ours in the Greater Bay Area for the Greater Bay Area headquarters, was based on the fact of, you know, in a post-COVID situation, how does a bank of that scale really manage their resources effectively and really define, quote unquote, what the future of the workplace is? I think, you know, a lot of the discussion around the real estate industry has been, quote unquote, what's the future of work? And, you know, I think that rather than any one particular strategy, I think the the consensus really for me has been that it's going to be any one of a range of different options and how well can commercial real estate occupiers be able to uh, be able, uh, how well can they maintain access to a diversity of options that are dynamic, just in time, on demand, and really being able to, I have a project team of 15 people that needs a month and a half of space versus I have a team of 10 people that need dynamic access to a collection of 15 spaces as we employ remote working or, you know, work from anywhere strategies. Sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, one of the things for us in this last couple of years has been working with our Occupy clients to really drill down on what are they trying to solve for? And and that looks different, literally everyone and, and even companies within the same industry have, you know, the, the strategies range from 100% back to the office to 100% remote and everything yeah. in between. So, yeah. I and mean, I mean, with, 
with that, do you and think you and I are kind of talking about the technology piece for how that supports it, right? I mean, I know you and I have talked about multiple platforms to be able to really integrate with Flex to allow these large corporate occupiers to drop in, drop out, but also have, you know, standard pricing, be able to enjoy those benefits of scale, but also the flexibility in terms of that usage, right? I'm sure that at, at Collier's, you're having people come to you as that third party broker to really be able to connect them to this network of spaces, TEC and otherwise. We're at a scale where we're able to work with clients like that, but fundamentally it's about, you know, I need office space here for this amount of time, for this amount of people. Can you help me out? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And are you seeing any, any, I I guess it's, maybe I'm answering my own question here, but are you seeing any one market shift in a particular direction versus another, or is that just depending on, you know, where, where that market is in terms of, what's happening with COVID as, as things start to open back up? Um, I think it's a little bit hard to tell right now how much of it is, you know, purely tied to the state of restrictions in any one particular market. A lot of corporate strategies have been in response to direct or, you know, potential threat of further or future lockdown and how people can best protect their business. However, the thing that I do think has changed is the biggest shift is people have realized that you don't have to force your entire team to come to an office for them to be productive, right? You know, I personally do not enjoy working from home permanently. I, you know, want to see my colleagues. I need to collaborate with them and kind of engage with them in an office setting. But the whole experience focus of what the purpose of an office is, is, is very important. I mean, to me, I see it as parallel to a lot of retail that is starting to focus on you know, how do we make re- the retail experience in a real estate perspective more experiential? How do we really drive that value from the physical space's existence? And for us, from an, oper- from an office operations point of view, it's the same thing. How are we building offices that people want to come to, right? Because I think the era of you have to come to an office to work is no longer true, but I think it's more, you no longer have to come to one particular office in order to be effective. It's rather a question of how that works. That being said, I do think that there are some regional differences. Um, as, as far as I can see anecdotally within China, there's not a huge embrace of a lot of working from home. I think there's a lot of conjecture about whether or not that's about you know apartment or dwelling size, you know the, 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 the amount of people that you're living with, things along those lines, or is it just a style of work where presenteeism matters? I think that you know there's a lot of cultural factors that go into that, and so we're seeing differences in India versus China versus Australia, which are obviously quite a big gap between those markets. But in each of those markets, we're seeing demand for you know flexible office space remain strong because there are still people who are choosing the value of the office. And you know, office is an important reflection of the quality of our company or the type of work that we need to do. Before we go, um, I wanted to touch on sort of one last sort of question, if you like, and that was from your perspective, what are the three, what are your three big forecasts, not just for flexible workspace, but for the office market more generally, or real estate market, if you really wanted to go that broad, but what are your three big sort of projections or forecasts for the office market, sort of in the, I guess, medium to long term? Oh, well, <laughs> short, answer, short answer for the last, for the last question, for sure. Um, <laughs> the, but I mean, I think in terms of the prediction, I'll be completely honest, my my focus really is in terms of the flex market. I think in terms of the overall office market, I'm relatively confident the demand will come back 
you know, businesses continue to do well and, you know, particularly as restrictions go away, that's just going to open up more ability to trade. And I think people are going to be eager to resume business, right? I think specifically in terms of three predictions that I can come to is, first of all, landlords will become a lot more involved in the kind of selection process and the programming process for their buildings, whether or not that's including flex or not. Flex is one option, you know, elements of retail, elements of residential, how all of that can be aspects go together. I think financial performance and covenant strength of all of those will continue to matter. Previously, it was um, people approaching buildings and saying, you know, we're a flexible operator. How much space do you have? We'll take all of it. And I think now the conversation is very firmly landlords saying, this is how much we want to have of these types of spaces within our overall building from a programming perspective. And to me, it seems a lot more considered and strategic, um, which I think is good. Second of all, I think corporates will look for, you know, increasingly more dynamic ways to provide office solutions to their networks, whether or not that's companies deciding to have five locations in the city at a smaller scale in different areas rather than one large location, or, you know, having co-working passes or dynamic just-in-time office passes within flexible space is up to each company to do. But I think that the large enterprise deals that really define the flex space industry from kind of 2017 to 2019, you know, we've signed a three-year deal for 500 workstations and things like that. Those are fundamentally just short-term sublets. They'll continue to happen, but I don't think it'll be the focus of most corporate strategy. MNCs are looking for more flexible solutions like Uber and Airbnb for use of office on a, on a clock. And then last, you know, I think operators will move to hybrid leasing models both to reduce the risk of, um, you know, kind of cost exposure from individual sites, right? I mean, we, everyone's seen now a lot of people going through their first downturn that when your occupancy drops below kind of 60 or 70 percent, your, mar- your, your, your uh, profitability takes quite a hit. And, you know, with big rental bills and everything like that, that can be a serious strain on your cash flow. However, the other thing that I think hybrid leasing models on the positive side, and, you know, it's not just operators are going to be selfishly protecting their risks, is that they're able to accommodate landlord special requests for, you know, we want this type of flex space. We want conference spaces, building cafes, lounges. We want you to increase the experiential value of our building and bring us higher quality tenants elsewhere in the building. So those are really the three that I see. Sorry if that's a bit specific to flex market, but hopefully hopefully those are at least uh, interesting points. We're going to have to wrap up there, but thank you so much for your time. It's been great catching up. Todd, thank you very much. It's been great having you. Great. Thanks a lot, Johnny. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thank you for listening. Share your thoughts about this episode or if you have any ideas for future episode topics, please email us at flex at colliers.com. You can find our latest publications, articles and other materials on colliers.com. That's colliers.com. And stay tuned for our next discussion in our series. I'll be speaking with my colleague, Harry Flood, who is director in our EMEA valuations team about how lenders and investors are approaching valuing the sector.